0: An MIT professor has a four-word simple rule for better communication and engagement. This is The Focus Group.
1: They're all business, except when they're not. It's The Focus Group with Tim Bennett and John Nash.
0: Welcome to The Focus Group, and welcome to 2022. Take out that zero, and you got one of my favorite shows from growing up, Room 222. I think that was with Karen Valentine. Hey, it's John Nash here with uh, Tim Bennett, my good friend joining us from places distant from New York. Actually distant, yeah. And uh, focusgroupradio.com is the URL of our website, and you'll learn about us and our show there, including... TFG Unbuttoned our Tuesday podcast. This show comes to you on Facebook Live, YouTube Live on Wednesdays and the audio is usually available on all podcast platforms by Saturday. So, 2022. You know, I always say the standard joke, my old standard joke is it feels a lot like 2021 at least right now because it's only 3 days, two 5 days in. <laughs> How are you doing, you Mr. Bennett? I,
2: I don't understand. Yeah, I guess it doesn't feel much different, does it?
0: No, no, not yet. So specifically because of all the stuff that's going on with the event that keeps rolling on and rolling on and rolling on. And we're all so tired of that, aren't we? But uh, the holidays were relaxing, if not a bit uh, nail-biting, given the uh, the recent surges and spikes. But uh, I think a lot of people did manage to get together. I don't know anybody who flew. Did you know anybody who traveled anywhere for the uh, for the holidays?
2: Yeah, Marianne flew. Our friend Marianne flew. She flew into Connecticut, where the past is still present. And uh, she, had, she had come in to visit uh, some family in Connecticut. And I got to see her while I was uh up visiting my family as well. So she flew. She said it was okay. Uh she's coming from Chicago though, right? Yeah, she flew into the little you know, the beautiful white plains. So oh, she, she said it um was okay.
0: <laughs> I don't know if people remember, but was it uh Brian Williams? Probably about yes six, seven, eight years ago something. He got stuck there and and had a rant about it and got in trouble. Then he had to go on live TV and issue an apology. Apologize. And, he, and, and the apology was something else, boy. He's like, whenever I have free time, my family and I love to drive to the beautiful Westchester <laughs> County Airport and have a hot dog or something like
2: that. <laughs> it's no food. I remember the first time I flew out of there, my mother was petrified. They got a big sign that says, uh, Danger, you know, flights to Nigeria. I was like, who the hell's flying from Westchester to, to Nigeria? Nigeria? Nobody direct. My mother's looking at the sign of the terrorist, terrorist, you know. <laughs> The the sign's been there for 100 years. I mean, this was back in the 80s. They had this danger warning about flights to Nigeria and some other place. And the sign is still there from what I knew. And uh, I laughed every time I would see it because at that time I had one little conveyor belt. I think the person who (laughs) took your ticket also loaded the plane.
0: (laughs) Wouldn't it be funny if that conveyor belt that brought the luggage out was... Literally cranked by the same person who leaves the <laughs> ticket desk, goes behind, and then starts eh, 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 get those luggage on
2: there. Not far off. Not far. It's like when I used to fly into Maine at the jet port. And they there was big big doings when they got a uh, a paved road on the way into it. The, the jet port. port. That was in the '90s. Uh,
0: this was when you were going up to LL Bean uh, when you were doing the LL Bean edition of the Outback, yeah. and sometimes you would have your uh, some of the Japanese management would come along, and they had um, didn't they? Wasn't there a food that they had to have too? Was it McDonald's?
2: No, it was the, the topless the topless uh, uh, coffee shop. The topless coffee At shop. McDonald's. That was being but they did they didn't. Yeah, I know what you're doing. They were they, they did know of a of a uh, Japanese restaurant that I was up. I, I still to this day don't think it was a real restaurant, but it was upstairs from a Chinese restaurant, not marked. <laughs> and um, when I picked them up, they, it was on a Sunday night. They said, we're going to go and they're giving me this piece of paper. I said, there's nothing opened uh, here on Sunday night in Freeport, Maine in the middle of the, of the winter. And sure enough, these people were waiting for us. And we went there and had all this traditional and uh, great, great Japanese food. It was almost like a speakeasy.
0: In other words, you, you had to knock, knock two times. Wait a second. Knock two times again, and the door slides open. You hear for the sushi? <laughs>
2: yeah, we went upstairs, and I was like, "Wow, this is something else." But uh, could never find it again in a bet. But uh, you know, they they all had their own little. You know, it was interesting. The Japanese nationals all had their own little network of folks to where they could buy the vegetables and a lot of the foods that they liked, and uh, they would go on Saturdays and they would share almost like a co-op with with each other. With Different vegetables or different groceries that would would have the foods they wanted, which was pretty cool, but uh, yeah, there was this network that uh, he knew right where, right where to go I tell but, you it's if you you know we often say we could write a book or
0: probably three volumes based on our experience and and when we were younger and we were experiencing some of this stuff. We we were aware that what we were experiencing was hilarious, right? I mean, it wasn't like we thought this is a run-of-the-mill, everyday stuff. You were aware that this was hysterical, right?
2: Well, you know, I was. But, you know, the other thing was I was irritated, too. They were running a little late. And, you know, I don't speak Japanese. And, and the Japanese gentleman that I met initially that had come in from Tokyo for this meeting didn't really speak English well. And the hotel we were at, the embassy suites was across from where we were waiting. And that was where the terrorists... Had stayed the first night before they went to boston so they were able to get the box cutters and everything on the planes in portland fly into boston right so i'm trying to make small talk so i had was trying to in my broken english explain to these japanese that this is where the terrorists had started you know oh no this is going south quick right well by time by time the uh the folks from super of america got there whose english is quite good they were laughing in the car and he taps me on the shoulder and said i said he says how how has everyone been i said well they've been very quiet i mean as soon as they got there immediately it's tick, 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 you know back and forth and then they laughed at me in the car and they said uh you know ishitobe is very very concerned that we were under a terrorist attack because of uh, i said oh my gosh i said what i was trying to explain that this is where the terror he goes oh i know what you were saying but it did not come out in translation very well I said, oh, my God, no wonder why he was avoiding me. They were all nervous running around. I think they thought we were under terrorist attack. So what you're referring yes, to is um, wh- there was always a couple of Japanese
0: executives based in the U.S. Yes, and, about 30. And the, the ones time. that were at corporate proper, I mean, they, they spoke pretty good. I mean, they were, they were capable of yes, being yes. perfectly bilingual. But the folks you're talking about probably didn't speak as much English, but they came in from Japan for the for the L. Yeah, I had meeting. to pick them
2: up, I had to pick them up first and I got there first and so I had about 2 hours with them. And I'm trying to and I was trying to speak with them and they don't speak English and I don't speak Japanese. And they knew very little, so I was trying to explain and I didn't know how little English they knew, but whatever <laughs> they picked up was <laughs> I I certainly wouldn't use that method now to explain that oh this is where the terrorists took off from for 9/11. But um, anyway, (laughs)
0: live and learn. And on that happy note, I think you have a fun caught our eye.
2: What caught your eye? Here's what Tim and John found. So we were going to I think you thought we might uh, as the new year progressed, you and I have talked about this. And if you listen to our podcast, TFGN Button, John and I reference this as well. But CNN, uh, clueless CNN or CNN was duped. Um, during the broadcast. So as we all know, uh, Kathy Griffin used to be on there with her friend, Anderson Cooper, and she had made some kind of uh, tasteless joke about Donald Trump and got fired from the gig. Um, sadly, because I think she and Anderson very were funny, good, they're a good team. Yeah. Good, good, good coupling. And since then they put on Andy Cohen who, uh, well, they put on Andy Cohen. So Andy Cohen <laughs> is on there with, with Anderson, Anderson Cooper, Cooper and, uh, we can get into his drunken rant in a second, but what was going on, um, apparently, and this is why they said clueless uh, CNN, and they somebody said that the interns should be given a uh, given an award. But uh, as the broadcast was taking place, nobody seemed to want to pay attention to the fact that a bunch of, they were calling them Twitter trolls, armed with a small collection of accounts with ridiculously names, managed to get by the CNN state censors and fill the screen ticker underneath with New Year's Eve messages. And they came from Ben Dover, Mike, Mike Coxlong, Dixie Normus, uh, Anita Dump.
0: I never Harry... saw that.
2: I didn't see that one. Okay. Yeah, Anita Dump, Harry Cox, Hugh Jass, and Seymour Butts. And they said all, all of them, but one of them. They're all related to the same account. And uh, so for at one point they said, for instance, when Andy was on around 10 o'clock, someone goes, oh, there's another shot of Andy from Dixie Normus at 10 p.m. Where Regina King is slaying it better than ever from Ben Dover, 837. But they said all these accounts were related to the same person. Nobody caught up. Nobody caught on until TikTok. Somebody posted to TikTok. By 2.45 the next day, they'd already had 3.5 million views. <laughs> With all these screen grabs of the stuff underneath, you know, Happy New Year, you know, the Nita dump and all these different names. So I love it because it's such a sophomore prank. And you and I always think these sort of things are funny. They said that the account described as so when they so somebody has tried to the daily, the daily beast has tried to track this person down. They said that it's uh, the account describes itself as the real king of CNN. And they're using the hashtag CNN New Year's Eve uh, NYW. Um, CNN did not have any response, and um, someone thought, well, maybe just CNN just did not want to monitor the uh, the incoming feed. A lot of people, while they thought it was uh, childish, they did actually enjoy it, and they thought it added a little bit of amount of levity, and they said that the real uh, denouncement, though, from the night came from the epic drunken rant from, uh, from Andy Cohen when he was doing his good riddance to New York City Mayor de Blasio. Mm-hmm.
0: So one thing I, I would note about this prank is what they said, the name of the individual was the gag, but they never said anything bad, right? No. Do no. another shot or I love seeing Regina. I love doing this. But it would come from Dixie. You
2: know, I. <laughs> we and were watching this. Like Mike, it's Mike. And then it's Mike's first name, and then O-X-L-O-N-G. So with my cock's long. <laughs> so if you said it you know, together or Ben Dover or Dixie and her last name was Normus, N-O-R-M-U-S um there was hugh h-u-g-y or h-u-g-h and then his last name j-a-s-s so hugh <laughs> Jazz. you know so, i was watching those tweets and i didn't
0: pay attention to the name of the person that was sending it i was just oh they're doing another shot when this came up on the news, I just thought, my God, it was real time. I was paying attention to this and not paying attention in that way. Tim, when we were in high school, who, what was the our prank name? We 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 prank. I mean, a royal typewriter, the U.S. Post Office, and the local paper. Tim and I did this hilarious prank about the Danbury affair moving to Southbury, and and I think it was signed. Oh, it was Harold P. Her- Ness. Harry
2: P. Ness. Yeah. yeah, P. And then last name Ness. N E S S. Yeah. No. These. It reminded me of the time, and again, everybody's going to say it's insensitive. I thought it was funny, but you know, you can't be, everybody is so hypersensitive, woke now, I guess. But just a few years ago when that AirAsia flight crashed, the intern there in, in California got fired because he had posted, and the, the anchor, you can Google it or go to YouTube, and it, the woman is very, very serious. Uh, the uh, San Francisco or Los Angeles reporter, she goes, we just, have a, we just, got, a, we just got a message in, in, in from who the pilots were on the AirAsia flight. And she reads, you know, um, something wrong, we too low, holy fuck, bing, bang, ow. And she reads this across the thing. These are the names of the pilots from Air. And she's very serious about it. And then you can hear people laughing in the background, like, I can't believe she just read this. Because these are news readers, right? They just read whatever you throw in front of them. They'll the read.
0: teleprompter. Yeah.
2: Right. And so she read that as if it was all fact. And then she got... Really aggravated. But these people used to call CNN all the time. I don't know if you remember these to get through to Larry King. A lot of these sort of pranksters would get through to Larry King with these names. And, you know, Larry King, we got Mike Oxlong on the line right now. <laughs> <laughs> and it then they is. would do the Howard Stern, Baba Booey, Baba Booey. And, <laughs>
0: It is so sophomoric. You are so right, and yet every—it's a joke that just keeps on giving. I'll still laugh because, in some ways, I think it's harmless. It's
2: who was that nun they used to be on? They used to call her all the time too.
0: Oh, um, was Mother
2: she, uh, um,
0: Mother Teresa?
2: No, she wore the brown. Bl- the brown. Um, oh gosh, she wore the brown. She was on on one of the cable channels. She wore brown habit, the whole deal. I can't believe Mother. Angelica or Mother Angel or something but the 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 Howard Stern pranksters would call her and they'd be like oh mother I'm so upset I can't and then they'd say something foul to her and she'd say you filthy pigs <laughs> and she'd start yelling at them because <laughs> she'd be...
0: <laughs> you could see that uh, Tim and I have not grown up much since the playground <laughs> since we're like jortling away it's, it's yeah, one of it's my favorite. old
2: boy humor I know but I, I'm, I'm just upset we didn't do it
0: I I am amazed that we I was re- tweeted,
2: We could have tweeted one in. We right? could have That'd created nice
0: a. Idea. We could have created a hilarious false handle and done innocuous, pleasant tweets because no yeah, one no one was nasty. Year. It was the name of the person sending it that was the joke. We
2: used to use Dick Fitzwell in college all the time. <laughs> Dick Fitzwell, like <laughs> then. Then then eventually you would get it to where you'd have somebody say, "Who's Dick Fitzwell?" Oh. <laughs> 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 Michelle wants to know his dick fits well. And then you'd be like, yeah, anyway. you're in, you're in, Eddie. Yeah. All uh, right.
0: I think yeah. you'll appreciate uh, what came up for me. This is a very short one as well. Um, and the headline reads, man lifts his sleeping ex-girlfriend's eyelids to unlock her phone, stealing $24,000. <laughs> So I'm going to, this took place in China, and I, I think if I read it, it as it was reported, oh my God. a Chinese man has been jailed for lifting his sleeping ex-girlfriend's eyelids to unlock her phone so he could steal money from her digital wallet. The man in the southern city of, of Nanning, surnamed Huang, uh, was recently sentenced to 3.5 years in prison and fined $3,100 for stealing about $24,000 from his ex-girlfriend's mobile payment account. The 28-year-old visited his ex-girlfriend, surnamed Dong, (laughs) in December last year. So the girl's name is Dong. He's Nanning. Uh, After telling her he wanted to return some money he borrowed while they were dating. Dong was sick at the time, and Huang prepared food and cold medicine. After the woman fell asleep, however, Huang put her finger on her smartphone to unlock the device and then lifted her eyelids to pass the facial recognition check on payment app Alipay. (laughs) Then he transferred money from her savings account and credit services to his own account, took away her phone and a coat, and used the funds on living expenses and covering his gambling debts. Dong woke up the next morning and saw the transfer records on her phone. She made a report to police after failing to reach her ex-boyfriend who had fled to another city and was arrested in April. And that's where the report was filed. And that's where he, uh, that's where he, um, got arrested. Some social media users suggested turning off fingerprint and facial payment functions while sticking with passwords. You know, that's, uh, so, uh, yeah, Huang and Dong.
2: I, I, so, so did he, I wonder if she'll get the money back.
0: Ah, uh, that's a great question. So he was fined. Um, I don't think the financial institutions have any obligation to return the money because the security protocol was facial recognition, which he lifts. Can you imagine lifting someone's sleeping eyelids? Then <laughs> the phone turns on, you get the... Uh, but he would have to make some form of restitution, right?
2: I would imagine. Yeah, and he must and he, and I guess they probably don't have laws there for, or laws there for drugging somebody, right? you know, you caught that one
0: too. And he said he went over to take care of her and gave her cold medicine and stuff. Why do I think, why do I think, you know, what, what's our favorite, um, you know, uh, Vicks, what, what's the uh, the velvet hammer we call it? NyQuil. NyQuil, yeah. Now, you know, you give someone NyQuil about, you're, you're pretty guaranteed that in 40 minutes they're knocked out for, you know, they're sleeping restfully and they could breathe. But I mean, yeah, I think you're right. I think there might've been some shenanigans there, so.
2: That's funny.
0: Too hilarious. All right, folks, moving right along. As many of you know, uh, Deep Discount is a partner of ours here on the Focus Group, and we would love you to check their site out by going to ours, focusgroupradio.com, and clicking on the Deep Discount logo. Uh, It's the New Year's sale. In fact, I had that up here on their site just a minute ago, and 2022 has arrived, and so have the movie deals. I've done a lot of Christmas shopping, and so have a lot of you, folks. Thanks for submitting pictures of what you bought before Christmas, along with your shipping label and socks have been going out for people that did that they got focus group radio socks so as i said it's a new Year's sale all these great deals are available at deep discount mr bennett if you were going shopping what would you buy
2: well i picked an odd thing only because, for me an odd thing because <laughs> it's not something i would buy but it's something a friend of mine matt had mentioned he was trying to get and i said did you check deep discount he said he had not and he was going to, so I checked it for him. It was uh, he's a big fan of Dark Shadows, the original series. So this is the complete original series. I don't know if you watch this. It's a um
0: Bob loves it, it by the way. does yeah. he? Yeah, well, this is
2: this goes way back that this is like almost black and white TV, right? right sixty six till seventy one, I believe. and this mm-hmm. this is a, a limited edition um, set of the complete original series. It uh, came out in twenty twelve and it, the list price was close to well it was $599.98 so $600 and uh, but at deep discount you can get it for a 197.59 which i understand if you've shopped around this is the best price you'll find for this and uh, now you say
0: you save 197 you get it for 402
2: Oh, is that what it is? What did yeah. I read? It? Oh, did I read it wrong? Yeah, so
0: it's normally 600 but they have it for almost 200 bucks oh. off, which is 33% discount, which is great. You get it for $402. Because look, I, I'm looking at this casket thing. Well, then here. they should sell it for $1.99. Yeah. <laughs> well, look at how many DVDs. There's a whole, like, the, it's packaged in this, like, casket thing, and there's a whole stack of them two, four, six, eight, 10, 12, 14. There's like 25 or almost 30 DVDs in here. What's the. Uh...
2: Well, that's because, so Dark Shadows was designed to be a soap opera
0: yeah constantly running
2: about about the collins family which um so because it was a soap opera it was on every day so starting oh my god i didn't think about that so
0: five days a week wow
2: okay so it was on every day and then it wasn't until they had introduced this vampire um was the which they called 200 year old vampire to the show called barnabas collins Mm -hmm. um, that the show really took off but uh it's about a um, a woman who uh, travels to a fictional town in Col- Collinsport, Maine, to live as a nanny, and um, when she, uh, why she was hired is a mystery, but she soon learns that there's something about the family's past um, is connected to this place, and so, you know, it all ensues from there. But there's witches and all sorts of things that, that take place and ghosts and vampires and sci-fi sort of things. They said that in 1968, this daytime driver, daytime drama, was pretty wild stuff, considering they were also experimenting with time travel, <laughs> which they said for '68 was. So they would have these witches that were in the future that yeah. knew everything. So, I um, know a
0: lot of people who love. I mean, just adore Dark Shadows. I mean, they're like lifelong fans. And uh, I think there was Johnny Depp that was starring, starring the movie adaptation of Dark Shadows, which we loved. Excellent call. Um, and it's a, people
2: say they don't like the movie. Did you like the movie?
0: Well, we did because we weren't as attached to the show but if you were attached to the you know the multi-year run then this was right. like eh, maybe i don't like the movie i went with a film that um you know i've seen bits and pieces of over the years and i finally saw uh, saw it um and i definitely want to get it because i saw it on tcm and they don't always broadcast it but it's called witness for the prosecution it was released in 1957 it's a black and white film It stars Howard Bristol, Tyrone Power, Agatha Christie, Marlena Dietrich, Charles Lawton, and a whole cast of just wonderful character actors. And it's a primarily a courtroom drama, but there is such a there's there are great lines, there are great uh, camera angles, and if you're an actors, if you love acting and you love actors, there are some wonderful things. Uh, So there's a scene where Charles Lawton is a uh, defense attorney it's his last case He was going to retire but he takes this case and he takes it because he feels someone's been wronged and, and Tyrone powers in it as well and it's a suspenseful melodrama a retiring london lawyer who defies his friend's advice and defends a drifter who was accused of murdering a wealthy widow and it was directed by billy wilder so you know the director's fantastic too so there's a scene where this old woman's in the the witness box and she's kind of hard of hearing so um you know, the uh, the lawyer, Charles Lawton, who you would remember from a ton of movies, um, he stands up and in a loud louder than speaking, he says, is it true that you are requiring and he drops his voice down the normal conversational tone hearing aids and she goes what <laughs> and she puts her hand on her ear and 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 the courtroom goes crazy and the judge goes please please rephrase he goes i'll rephrase the question are you in are you interested in acquiring new hearing aids <laughs> <laughs> so that reminded me of my cousin vinny when they did something like that with the woman who had uh dirty glasses or something cuz she was trying to id the, the young boys in that comedy so i i think it's a wonderful movie to watch uh because so much of other cinematic courtroom dramas probably picked up on a lot of what was going on there and the uh the release this week is a movie called antlers now i have heard of this this is uh, not necessarily in my wheelhouse i'll be truthful with you i this is a horror and suspense film but the description reads when oregon school teacher julia meadows carrie russell noticed withdrawn behavior from student lucas Weaver. She suspected abuse at the hands of his meth dealer father. Oh boy, Frank turning to her sheriff brother, uh, Paul for help. They'd find, they'd find to their terror that Lucas was indeed hiding something and that Frank had come under an influence, not of this earth. Supernatural shocker co-stars, Amy Madigan, Graham green, Roy Cochran, hour and a half, roughly, you know, it's one of those, uh, you know, 90, wow. you know, <laughs> so it's a, a, horror film. So there you go. Um, it's a... I
2: was I was curious about the name Antlers, so um, mm. and I read the description as well. So, um, but I, I'm with you. I, I sometimes uh, I thought it was a demonic reindeer, Santa. Like, yeah, <laughs> I get scared in those
0: kind of. Oh, uh-huh, that's why that's not high on my list because I, I, I know how to not. I don't I don't like nightmares.
2: Yeah. So, but if you do like that, be sure to pick up Antlers. So uh, head over to focusgroupradio.com. It's uh, right now. It's a New Year's sale and uh, click on the Deep Discount logo, start shopping away. I recommended Dark Shadows, the complete original, the original Complete series. John recommended Witness for the Prosecution, and the new release this week is Antlers. Again, you'll find Deep Discount by going to focusgroupradio.com. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we've got a shop talk that deals with um, something that I absolutely love that uh, a professor at MIT had uh, had implemented in his classroom that we'll discuss and uh, also our business birthday so uh, stay with us we'll be right back
1: you're listening to the focus group with Tim and John learn more at focusgroupradio.com Now, back to The Focus Group with Tim and John. Available pretty much everywhere.
0: Welcome back to The Focus Group. John Nash with Tim Bennett, focusgroupradio.com. Ta-da! That's all you need to know. Uh, Before we continue with the show, one of my new favorite things uh, is, is, is hooking into one of Tim's favorite things, and that would be News from the North Korean Peninsula.
1: In the box to your is the mastermind of this spectacular show, the multi-talented Kim Jong Il. Oh, hello.
0: <laughs> uh, Team America, another great movie, by the way. Anyway, Mister Bennett, take it that away. Can
2: never, that can never be made again.
0: Never again. No.
2: So a little bit of news from out of our friends at North Korea, John, and and out of Pyongyang. uh, Kim Jong-un apparently has lost more weight. (laughs) So they say now that he's unrecognizable. Of course, this uh, goes hand in hand among the country's food shortage. And during his uh, New Year's address, the dear leader has has admitted that uh, as he's putting together and guiding the struggle for uh, all the people, That, uh, and their next stage of victory is going to be to eradicate this hunger, which has, uh, you know, been over the land of the communist state for, uh, decades, but it's going to be a phased process. It will take, uh, it will take some time, but, uh, people are very upset and they're devastated by the looks of Kim Jong-un because he's lost so much weight, um, that the people are very concerned about his health, but he's assured them that, uh, he's doing this for his own physique. And to approve himself so that when he can get out to do field work, that he's uh, capable of doing it, of course, and that he's eating less for the sake of the country. (laughs) And that uh, he understands that they're facing acute food shortages. And uh, please do not speculate about his health. All is well. And uh, we just need to make sure that uh, we're all part of the struggle and we're all focused on the fact that uh, we will win this thing for all the people. So it turns out that uh, a food shortage
0: is good for a weight loss program, right? I mean because Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's just so All right,
0: thank you for that uh, NK News and without further ado,
1: everyone does celebrity birthday greetings, but The Focus Group is the only show in the universe that celebrates business birthdays.
2: So uh from breaking people's hearts in North Korea because of the the weight loss of Change the new leader, we transformation transformation of the dear leader for all the people we have our business birthday today, which we haven't done um, this one before, which I was surprised about, but it all depends on the date. Of course, today's January 5th. The uh, business birthday today is King camp Gillette. And uh, he's born on January 5th in 1855. Did you ever, do you ever remember who King King Gillette was? Did you know, I guess you can guess, can't you? Well, you know,
0: You and I grew up not far from Gillette Castle, which I always assumed was the Gillette that created the safety razor, but it turns out that the Gillette Castle in Connecticut was a famous actor, playwright, and director, not this guy who's the inventor, right?
2: Yeah, no, not not this guy. So King Camp Gillette was an American businessman. He invented the best-selling version of the safety razor. There were several models that were in existence before before his, but uh, his innovation was a thin, very expen- inexpensive, disposable type of stamp steel. And uh, he was erroneously credited with inventing the safety razor. And uh, and it sold cheaply. He actually lost money. So they said he was he would have the, a system, the razor system, so the handle, and then he would do these inexpensive blades. And they actually lost money on each one, but they were trying to get people to um, change habits because before then, people used a straight razor, mm-hmm. and they had to use a strope or a strap, some people call it, but sharpen a leather up, stroke yeah. to, um, to, to uh, sharpen them. But uh, he was able to work with a guy from MIT, an engineer from MIT out of Boston, to come up with this stamped carbon steel to do these disposable blades. It was interesting because how he came up with the idea, he was selling bottle caps for a company called Crown, Cork, and Seal. And he used to watch how people would only use a bottle cap once and throw it away. And so he thought that there should be more value, or things should have more value instead of having things be discarded, yet it's funny he says that because kind of these blades became one of the first disposable things we use, right? Mhm in volume so, yeah in volume in volume. So that was somewhat of an ar- ironic, uh, ironic twist there. The equivalent of the razor um, when it went on sale in the early uh, early times was one hundred and forty four dollars in today's today's uh, and that's for the handle right like that because you're buying
0: because you're basically spending that money first for the system for the handle right that's a lot
2: of money yes yeah, so is the razor retail for a substantial five dollars then this was in the uh in the late 1800s they said the most difficult part of development here was getting the cheap steel because it was still very difficult to sharpen Um, to sell the product, he founded the American safety razor company in 1901. He changed the name to the Gillette safety razor company and obtained a trademark for it. And, um, they began production in 1903. They sold a total of 51 razors and 168 blades the first year, the second year, they did 90,000, uh, razors and 123,000 blades. And then of course it all went from there. They had uh, great advertising, they said. Um, They established facilities in uh, the U.S., Canada, Britain, and France, and uh, reached 70 million units or exceeded 70 million units by 1915. And they said, for instance, when the U.S. entered World War I, the company provided all the American soldiers with a field razor set, which was paid for by the government. It went bankrupt just about and lost everything in the Great Depression and uh, had sold part of the company off. He died in uh, July 9th, 1932 in Los Angeles, and uh, he's in the Forest Lawn Cemetery there. He was also a utopian socialist. So he had published a book titled The Human Drift, and it advocated that all industries should be taken over by one single corporation owned by the public, and that everyone in the US, for instance, should live in one giant city called Metropolis, powered by the Niagara Falls.
0: Well, I guess back then, given the population, that might have made
2: sense. I don't know that Niagara Falls could do that today, but okay. Well, he thought that if you had one company that had everything, then there would be no competition. It's mm-hmm. almost a very Soviet sort of, a, a Russian sort of communal, or um, communist communal thought. That well, what, what kind of toilet paper are we buying product, today?
0: Yeah, we're buying that toilet paper. Why are we buying, because that's the only one we make. Okay. The only one
2: you have, right. <laughs> he, uh, Gillette offered Theodore Roosevelt, the presidency of the company, for a million dollars. Roosevelt declined the offer. He traveled extensively. He was universally recognized as the man because of his face uh, marketing image on the blades. He, uh, he had a place built at 324 West Overbrook Road in Palm Springs, which is still there, apparently. And also a place in Calabasas, which they currently use for the show, the reality show uh, Biggest Loser, mm. <clears throat> which I, I haven't watched that. Uh, the company was sold. Uh, let's see. The company was, here's a funny story. It says, sometime in the late 1920s, Gillette was known as a frequent guest of Nellie Kaufman. She owned the Desert Inn in Palm Springs, California. He was often seen wandering around the grounds in the lobby in a tattered old bathrobe, (laughs) looking very disheveled. Kaufman was finally asked by one of the guests why she allowed such a lowlife to hang out at her establishment. She responded, why, that's King C. Gillette. He practically kept the place in the black for the last few years. So he used to just hang out at this desert inn in Palm, in and Palm a, Springs. In a
0: tattered robe. At least he was wearing Look, a robe. I mean, you know, you, yep. you and I have been to some Palm Springs clothing optional uh, places where <laughs> a tattered robe might actually not be a bad
2: idea. It depends on who it is. But Exactly. The company is uh, owned by present-day Procter & Gamble and uh, continues to thrive under a variety of names. They also had products like uh, Braun, Oral-B, Duracell as well. When they sold to uh, when Gillette sold to Procter and Gamble in 2005, they sold it for 57 billion dollars. With a B, right? B. Yeah. The B. Yeah. Uh, and then his mother, Fannie Gillette, she collaborated with the White House, Stuart Hugo Ziman. They published the White House Cookbook, which for many decades was America's number one selling recipe collection, and remains in print to this day. They said his unusual first name, King, was in honor of a family friend whose surname was King. So, uh. Very cool. King King Camp Gillette. King
0: Camp Gillette. And the camp part I like because it hooks in a little bit to Palm Springs. And there is a Palm Springs connection with a tattered robe walking around the grounds.
2: <laughs> so that's yeah. a good one. You got to come up with a razor or something, John.
0: Uh, we have to come up with something, right? I mean. Candeliers. Yeah, well, look, I'm in that camp. I think Candeliers. I think we could, I think there's a product opening for the type we want to do. And I just, I I just, I see other ones look kind of cheap. I think the ones that, that we all admire that Bob did, I think we could do that. All right. uh, Moving on to shop talk folks. Uh, As I mentioned at the top of the show, there is a, uh, a, an MIT professor, very well respected uh, named Patrick Winston. And uh, he often talks in lectures on how to speak and how to engage people. Um, and he has a four-word, simple rule that he uses in his classroom, and he thinks that we should all be using in life in general. And uh, I'll let Tim actually announce what that rule is, because it's probably one of your favorite rules.
2: Well, the rule is, uh, very simply, no laptops, no cell phones. And that's what that was. his, what his rule is for the classroom.
0: Yeah, and it says, although simple... This is a rule that almost no one today follows and that makes it extremely valuable. Winston's rule of engagement is also a perfect example of emotional intelligence in real life. The ability to make emotions work for you instead of against you. How the rule of engagement makes you a better listener. So basically he's saying whenever they've done experiments, one of the most ones I was kind of fascinated by was an experiment done in the 1950s by psychologist Donald Broadbent. They would put headphones on individuals and have two different things going on, like in the left ear and the right ear. And afterwards, they would ask the individual like what information they retained. And the conclusion, you can only listen to one voice at a time. And I, all you have to do is hear that conclusion to know that we are capable of processing one thing at a time, and if you are if you're diverting your attention from a lecture or someone you're speaking to to a different thing, like a device, a laptop, whatever, you're not really listening, then, right?
2: Yeah, I and I love this. I you know, and it was many, many years now though. When I was in corporate America, I had the rule in meetings: no cell phones or laptops. And cell phones were just starting to be a big thing then. And you know, some of the people would come in with them, and they were constantly looking at them and fiddling with them, and telling me that they were either taking notes with them or doing something with them. And I remember one time, someone brought their laptop into a meeting, and Karen, you remember Karen was in there. And they were banging away at it as, uh, as we're doing the presentation. And Karen stopped the meeting and said, what are you doing? Well, I'm taking notes. She goes, it's distracting. Stop it. Because that's the excuse. Oh, I'm going to take notes on the laptop or I'm going to you know, tweet out. Now now they're saying, well, I'm tweeting out. Kelly McDonald tells us about this, the speaker. She says she's giving a speech to a whole lot of you know, 3,000 people. They're all on their cell phones. Now, she said they told her they were all tweeting out her lecture. She knows that's (laughs) nonsense.
0: You know what I love about Kelly? This is a good friend of Tim's who used to work at one of their main agencies who then, as Tim said, went out and is a book publisher and she's a public speaker. When you ask her about that behavior, she kind of just looks away or shrugs and says, you know, she just accepts it. She doesn't like it, but you can't do anything about it. And so she's hoping that they're tweeting about what she's saying.
2: <laughs> she's helpful. Well, that's what it. they tell her. But that's that's where I think the, you know, I think this guy, because he had 50 years in the classroom and was well-regarded, was able to get away with it. I'm not sure a new person or a new professor could. I would try to implement it if I was a professor. But, you know, the excuse is that kids are saying, well, that's how I take notes. Or, well, I'm using the phone for X, Y, or Z. But um, I'm all for not having the distraction because I do think... If somebody's talking and giving a lecture or someone's having a discussion and you're looking at a phone and reading something else, you are not paying attention. You could pretend you are. You could pretend you're multitasking and doing a bunch of other things. But at the reality, I've seen more people than not. You have to repeat something or Mm -hmm. they end up not hearing something correctly. And uh, I think it's rude. So in the
0: article, there's a, um, a quick paragraph, which I think as sums up exactly what Tim was saying or encapsulated perfectly true, listening and collaboration require complete attention. And if you're speaking with another person, that person, uh, thought you were important enough to give you their time and attention. Why not return the honor? And that says it all right there to me. It's like, you know, if I'm talking to you, I hope I'm talking to you (laughs) and you're not clicking away. The note taking thing, Tim um, when I was in college, we all hand wrote our notes, uh, right. and, um, you know, I would look back at my old notebooks and, uh, sometimes I wonder if it, if it was even necessary to take notes. You know, the idea was that when you were handwriting something, you were reinforcing a point that you heard the professor make but i'm not sure if it was just it would have been better just really concentrate hard on what he was saying and be really be attentive and 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 there and take notes from the the text or the syllabus later i mean were you a good note did you take a lot of notes i mean you're I took, good you are good a note taker now and they were
2: useless you're right i think a lot of them are useless cuz you pay attention to try to write stuff down which may be regurgitation from the book um or it could be um opinion or something but i would write things down that i thought were funny but at the end of the day you're right i think if you Sometimes I did it to keep myself awake mm, yeah. or to keep myself to pay attention, something to do if I was bored, particularly in a couple of classes. But you're right. I think if you, really, if you were interested in the topic and you really just paid attention, you would absorb everything you needed to do, right? Yeah. Now, if it was some sort of thing like a, a math, algebra, and that's you and I took those kind of advanced classes in college, but, and you had to write down a formula, that's one thing. Uh, or if you are in a science class you had to write down, you know, something you in bring
0: that up regard. A, you bring up a great point. When I, I took Architecture 101 in college, at a time I thought I might be an architect, the math always trips you up. Um, but do you know I took no notes in architecture? It was all um, slideshows and a lot of visuals. And to this day, you know, I remember the fir- one of the first times I was in London after taking Architecture in college, I could name almost every church that was designed by Sir Christopher Wren, who also did um, St. Paul's in London. And, you know, I could, I could name, I could still name buildings and architects without having taken a note. Why is that? Because the the guy that taught it, the British teacher was, I was captivated by how he spoke and the visual representations that he was showing us, the pictures. So, you know, I guess, and, and probability and statistics was the same thing. I took very terrible notes in stat, but I, I aced the class because I just liked the topic.
2: So <laughs> it's a funny thing. Yeah. No, it's like, it, it It was like a friend told me in Shakespeare. I think we talked about this before. She yep. said, you're not supposed listen, to read it. Mm-hmm. Watch to listen it. it. And watch her listen to it.
0: That was great advice they gave you. In fact, didn't you do that before a test or something? I think you were. Yeah, playing.
2: I got a record. <laughs> I went to, I went to West Virginia, Parkersburg and got the records. Instead of me reading it, I, I, I listened to the record. But she said it should be listened to. And, um. Rather than trying to read it, it should be listened to, and, and that's that's how it should be consumed. But um, no, you're right. I, I think uh, I think the note taking thing. Hey, I'm wondering if all of education is going to be getting a reboot with with the event, right? Mm. We all we all we all wonder that now. I will about,
0: say that your note taking capabilities, when it comes to business, have been indispensable. Uh, you know, Tim and I do a lot of consulting and advertising work for clients, by the way. Um, you could check out triberry.co and see some of our work. Um, and the joke is always, I've often said to Tim, like, we'll do a call and I'll, I, I'm a natural talker as an agency guy and I hate silence, so I jump right in. And one time after a call, I was sort of irate. I said, you, you didn't talk at all. And you go, you hear this noise. And Tim's like, well. I might not have said a lot, but I took 14 pages of notes, which, by the way, came back to assist us immensely well.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I always do that because you you tend to be the one that gets out there to, to you know, glad hand, for lack of a better word, which is good because you're very conversational that way and, and break the ice. And I will take lots of notes because if you get people comfortable, then they're more likely to. Then tell you more what you need to hear. Mm -hmm. And so one of us, it's the yin and yang of our relationship. One of us, you know, as you're talking and, and, uh, spouting, spouting with the, uh, with the client, I'm taking notes and picking up, you know, little nuance here and there or, or listening for other things. So it works well. But that's a good example of note
0: taking that doesn't interrupt someone's attention span because Tim will do this on a conference call. You you know, and even if he's on a Skype or a Zoom thing, you could see him look looking down, writing down. Then, but that is not the same as this laptop banging on a yet. keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't there a remind me if this is a true story? Didn't Jay one time bring an actual Selectric typewriter or? Oh um, yeah,
2: no, she brought the typewriter to class and she would type when the professor would turn around, she'd turn it on. <laughs> and she could not type at all and she can't spell So you would hear her get upset. she might get a word and the prof- and the professor would turn around quick and then she oh, shut it off as if he didn't know who had this huge typewriter on the desk. It's electric like an IBM Selectric and then she she'd be like damn and then you hear tick, 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 with a little whiteout tape trying to erase something be like you're not gonna get anything done sitting here with that typewriter.
0: Oh did you have a, did you own a um, typewriter in college?
2: i did not
0: I neither did I. I i had my mom's royal manual that i was able in a case that i brought but i would borrow someone's electric one and i was actually not yeah. bad at typing so i could i got people paid me to type up their papers they would hand me that bridge. that's
2: funny because you're you're a hunt and peck with two fingers
0: and, but I, I i was better when i was younger with hunt and peck i'm i'm, I'm actually not you know i was going to take this online typing thing just to then i lost interest it was one of my resolutions from last year i was like <laughs> <laughs> totally one, totally failed on that anyway so i that, took
2: typing in high school i don't know why you you probably did something more i don't know I why took the hell band I
0: took in, typing. Band and chorus and i also and you took typing and uh yeah and and those were some of the options you that we really had i mean unless you wanted to take shop and you and i were not doing Car repair at the time. I mean, I, you and I know a lot about cars, but
2: now We weren't doing that. I got hit. I got hit with a ruler. You can't do that now to kids. And you think.
0: imagine?
2: You got for, whacked. for looking. Yeah. For looking, at hit, hit. Your hands got hit if you looked with at the, the keyboard, keys. Yeah. Mrs. Dumas. Mrs. That's the name.
0: name. That's the name. It was Mrs. Dumas. I remember her. I <laughs> should ask my mom about her because she, she. They all knew each other. My mom taught in the same district that I went to school in. <laughs> there you go.
2: Well, listen, everyone, thanks for uh, joining us here on our maiden voyage for 2022. We appreciate you uh, you being with us. I think we're going in our 14th or 15th year. We'll, John, I have to look at the calendar. We'll have to see what uh, what year we're going into now. Depends upon uh, how we do the math. Thanks for uh, joining us. Be sure to uh, check out our friends at Deep Discount. Uh, they have the uh, 2022 sale going on right now. And uh, I picked Dark Shadows. John picked uh, Witness for the prosecution in the new release this week is antlers. And uh, you can find deep discount by going to focusgroupradio.com and clicking on their logo. You'll also find all of our other media house there, as well as our podcast, which is TFG Unbuttoned. Everybody have a great week and we'll see you in the second week of January. Be safe out there. Wear your
1: mask. Take care. It's the Focus Group with Tim Bennett and John Nash accessible on all platforms. Subscribe, like, and rate us on your platform of choice. Learn more at focusgroupradio.com. That was a stunning focus group.